Welcome to Season 1, Episode 18 of Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties. Today, we're keeping things shiny as we continue our Fireflyverse week and sit down with Chris and Leslie Lott of Measuring the Score. We're comparing the musical compositions of the TV and film properties. Before we figure out if we have enough credits to keep this boat in the air, let's get our intros out of the way. We are Joe and Mark, two dudes who love talking pop culture and bringing our passion for our favorite properties to your ears. After you listen to the show, please pay our friends Chris and Leslie a visit by searching for Measuring the Score. They're on all major platforms, just like us. We hope you give their show a listen. And if it just so happens you got here today by accident, uh, try searching for the show by typing in Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're not following podcast websites, you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And by good authority, I believe we're on Friendster still by searching for at Digital Dissect One. Our social media sites share more pop culture news and current information, so feel free to join the conversation. Thanks again to Measuring the Score. We probably would still be recording if we didn't have to sleep or get back to our families. All right, folks, welcome back. We actually are returning to our Firefly Week as we dig very deep into one of our favorite properties here. And we actually want to introduce some friends of ours from the Measuring the Score podcast. We want to welcome, you know, Chris and Leslie Lott. How are y'all doing today? Doing good, doing man. Great. Awesome. Excited well, to be here, you know, to be honest, would you? <laughs> yeah, what's got you most excited, Chris? Uh, actually, because we're talking, and normally on our, our podcast, we're talking about just one score, but we're actually talking about two different scores with two different composers. So yeah. I, I'm kind of excited about that. I don't yeah, know about we've you. talked about doing this before, doing a comparison episode later, you know, in our because right now we just wrapped up season one, recording season one. So we're like, yeah, let's do something comparison, maybe like a remake versus an original. But then y'all have given us that opportunity. And so we're kind of excited about it. Great. Yeah, this is fun. I know this is new territory for me. Uh, music talent waved bye bye to me a long time ago. So I just appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad that for this episode, we have two people who actually know what we're talking about, because I think you two both have um, like a pretty elaborate music background, don't you? I play the flute, the oboe and the saxophone. Um, I've, I've played in uh, when I lived in Germany, I played in orchestra there. I played in uh, the mobile pops here for a short period of time. Uh, I never firmly went into music, but I almost did. I, I, I really contemplated on going to Juilliard instead of becoming a geologist, but geology mm -hmm. kind of went out because I was kind of burnt out with music. So that's my background. And I've been a film composer for almost 20 years now. Um, and the thing about us is she's classically trained where I am not. I play by ear. So and mm -hmm. I only play the keyboard and everything else. And you, you can play the flute, the oboe and everything else. So when I start making music, she gets mad at me because she, she can't understand. I can't how. put notes together. They sound horrible. <laughs> That's a talent that I do not have. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll start putting something together. And she's like, how did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just did. I mean, I never made it past the recorder myself. So <laughs> you are light years ahead of me in terms of distance with music. 
Yeah, the closest I ever got was uh, hearing Stomp in the mid-90s and just occasionally like tapping on something in my house as I walked by it. That's as close as I've ever gotten to music. Uh, in, in being I do that for some of my scores. So, yeah, no, you're good. Well, you know, I had a disappointing, you know, childhood because in kindergarten you know you sit on the magic circle and they give kids the instruments to play and you know i always wanted to play the triangle but i got the sticks or the block (laughs) i wanted the triangle you know hey the wood block has a very important part in music so you know i I think it's an it might have been an honor actually if if there's anything like my theater background there are no small parts so there are no small instruments (laughs) I was just disappointed. It is clank, clank, clank. Well, hey, you know what? Uh, once again, we, we really do thank you all for joining us. I mean, it's it's once again fantastic to have you here to really lean on you a little bit to help us dig into the music of these properties because, or the the score rather, because Joe and I have talked about a couple movies uh, throughout the early going of of our show, and we do get into some of the music of these, these films. And we talked about a couple composers and how it weaves into the narratives and, and some of the emotional, you know, weight of the, of the properties themselves. So, um, so definitely uh, looking forward to doing that. Um, now I know you've mentioned that uh, season one has actually wrapped for you on, on, on uh, you know, measuring the score. Um, so if you want to tell, uh, you know, both, you know, our viewers and your viewers a little bit, um, when does season two kick off for you? When do you plan on picking back up? Well, season one, um, it's the you know it's still releasing. We've actually gotten episode seven up right now, which is uh, the Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, season two, well, um, probably sometime next year is the way we've got it set up because we're actually going to uh, we haven't released it yet, but we're going to have some extra stuff later on. Uh, in our season finale, we release that information, so I'll leave that there. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. fair uh, enough. Yeah, yeah. We got some surprises. Yeah, we got some surprises. So I, I don't want to, you know. Oh no, no, no! Don't reveal that here. That, that's yeah, yeah you, <laughs> yeah, you don't need to drop that info necessarily. Um, but, so that, yeah. that's fine. So yeah, as far as recording wise, we've wrapped up season one, and we ended with our uh, composer showcase on Brian Tyler. That's what we try to do. Every five episodes, we have a composer showcase. We did uh, James Horner, then we have Danny Elfman, and then we ended with Brian Tyler. So yeah, it was. It, I mean, it's been fun. Yeah, we have about we recorded our fifteen episodes, and we released uh, after the first five. Then we started releasing uh, our episodes accordingly. So every two weeks, we release the episode on Monday. Uh, right now, as Chris said, we were on the uh, Beverly Hills Cop episode. So uh, you know, we got a, we got several more to release. You know, but as far as recording, yes, we're we're done with season one. So we're excited. You know, probably close to the end of the year, maybe beginning of next year, we'll start recording you know, season two. So, uh, besides our surprises we have coming, you know, we're, you know, we're planning, you know, a good season two. We've already got the list kind of written, you know, we've got requests that's come in and that people have asked us to review scores for. So, um, we have looked at, uh, that list there and kind of woven it into the list that we have formulated. So I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a pretty good solid season. And we even have some guests lined up for season two as well. So that's going to be kind of cool. Oh, cool. Awesome. 
We'll tell you what, I, I, we really appreciate the info on that. And once again, I'm not trying to blow up season two for you there. I apologize for uh, getting a little <laughs> oh, bit. Oh, no, no, no. We'll tell you what, you know, without further ado, we'd definitely love to dive into, you know, the Firefly property here and particularly talking about Greg Edmondson, uh, who gave us a pretty, you know, pretty solid, uh, you know, bit of listing to kind of dig into here. Um, Joe and I are both familiar with Greg Edmondson just because of, you know, our experiences with the Uncharted video game series. Oh, yes. Um, yes. So, Big fan of the Uncharted yeah. series, uh, which I was also very sad originally to hear when he didn't make it to the fourth game in the series. Um, right. they gave that, yeah, they gave it to someone else, which I mean, to that, to that credit too, that was an amazing score. But yeah, I, I literally replay um, the main four Uncharted games at the beginning of my summer every year when my, uh, my teaching season's done. Uh, I just set them to explore and go through and love the story and love the music. Um, I literally named my dog after um, Victor Sullivan from that game so I could have nice. my kick through life. So and then, dog and, and he's not he's not exaggerating <laughs> either. Like uh, ever, so ever since I've known Joe, like it, there's almost like a three week period where I don't hear from him very much. And <laughs> you know, just, yeah, just yeah. Hey, I'm just working through Uncharted again. It's like, yep. did, did you play that? <laughs> yep, I played it last year. Played last year, played it again. Yep, um, just well, let it go. <laughs> when you guys asked me to come on, uh, I believe I was talking to Mark, and he he said, you know, Greg Edmondson for Firefly. I'm like, wait, Uncharted? I'm like, wait, is that the same guy? <laughs> so I looked it up, and sure enough, and I was like, wow, I just listened to all of those scores because I I listened to the um, the Henry Jackman for Uncharted Four, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, wait a minute, who who did the first three? So I went back and listened to him. I'm like, what? these are great scores. Why didn't they ask him to come back? Yeah, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Henry Jackman did a great job with Uncharted Four. I mean, it's one of my favorite mm -hmm. video game scores. But I really like what Greg Emerson did with the first three. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then Henry Jackman, I know the one that really stands out for me is uh, for better or worse, like that song hits me really yeah. hard because of just where you are in the video game and you're not sure where um, Elena and Drake are going to go in their lives if they're going to continue, you know, being with each other. It's just completely up in the air and that song just drags that feeling on for a good right. chunk of the game. I like the, the 12 Towers score. Oh, uh, score. yes. Mm -hmm. that, that, <laughs> see, he knows what you want to talk about. <laughs> yep. Nerd. That's how you. Yep. That's how. That's how. And that's how you know that Joe plays this game every single year, start to finish. He's not making this up. But um, he, you guys both bring up a really good point about Greg Edmondson because he has a way of being able to really nail the emotional scenes. And whether it's a video game, whether it's uh, the Firefly TV show, there, there's always a, a way that you just know that when there's emotional moments that are starting to, you know, slowly rise there's going to be a moment where you're going to start ugly crying. I mean, he, he just hits you really hard. So um, one of the things we like to do on this show uh, is to dig into a little bit of the history of the properties that we, you know, that we research and everything. But in this case, um, I didn't know if you guys knew a little bit about uh, the task that was put before Greg Edmondson with the score of Firefly. Not really. No, no, we couldn't. I couldn't find too much on it. Um, I think we found more on David Newman for Serenity than we did for Greg Edmondson. Because he was more, you know, David Newman is more well known than uh, Greg Edmondson. And, and uh, you know, my research, the only thing I found uh, about him that he was, you know, born in the West 
And I'm like, well, that makes perfect sense because, you know, if you listen to the score of Firefly, it's got that Western feel to it. It's yeah. lighthearted. Mm -hmm. I love, you know, like I said, I, I have a diverse background, but um, I love Irish music and I love Old West music or what we would consider music from the Old West. So that was the first thing that kind of stood out. I'm like, okay, this is great. This has got a Western feel. And so then when I was trying to do the research on him, I noticed that he was born out West. I'm like, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really like this show really nailed that idea of like um, cowboys in space sort of thing. And oh, yeah. uh, I know like just before talking, you, uh, you had mentioned like cowboy bebop um, before and right. it's a very, I don't know, it's space bounty hunter sort of feel to both series. And yeah, I think Greg Edmondson's score just really highlights like the fun and adventurous feeling of the old West, but right. on a completely new frontier. Well, yeah. And you know, you had that Western feel, uh, added to the space element which the space was un it was uncharted it was ruthless at times you know and then you see the characters on screen mm -hmm. walk around in these long western like jackets with these they look like guns but they were yeah. shooting, shooting bullets. like what is this wizardry one episode of that guy like a covered like caravan like right yeah it's like yeah. a covered wagon Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was pretty, and that was the one thing I like. She was talking about when I first started watching the show, because uh, sadly I I came into the series backwards. I watched Serenity first, then Firefly, and when I started watching the show, and I'm like, going, wait a minute, why is the what's up with the music? I'm like, I really like it, but what is going? I'm like, okay, this is like <laughs> Cowboys. I'm like, this is nothing. Like, what's going on here? I'm so confused. <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this, so when they were making the or conceptualizing the score for this this series, there's a couple things I like to point out. One, they only had four days to do it, so I thought that was really impressive that they were able to collect you know, these different styles of music together in that short a period of time. Because Greg Edmondson was literally waking up at two a.m. over that that week to start recording, and he actually said that he preferred waking up that early because his phone's not going off nobody's bothering him so right. as crazy as that sounds it's almost like the, the south park developers they do their shows in six days you know greg edmondson <laughs> did a, a really gripping score in four days um and to oh. piggyback off of the western conversation that y'all are bringing up um it wasn't just the western side of things that they had to figure out balance for it was also the eastern inspirations because of the fact that we have um, this, this, you know, the, the, the superpowers of earth when, you know, earth was used up were the Chinese and then, uh, right. the American nations. Mm -hmm. So, so you had to balance both of those, not just in the, the cultures within the show or the dress or the attitudes, but also the music. It, it was incredible. Yeah, they did that in four days. I, I, I heard uh, like Asiatic element, like I think like on the track. second or third track, you could hear that, that kind of, mm -hmm. um, that Middle East Asian type of feel. Uh, you know, I know we're going to talk about the, the serenity in a minute, but I, I, then I noticed that like a lot of the script that you saw written down was, looks like Chinese or kind oh, yeah, of it's definitely, uh, kanji, uh, Japanese was the, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So you even saw that throughout, you know, so you're right. The balance was there. You had this old West element that kind of reflected the fact that you were in the wild West of space. And, but then you had this, this Asiatic element that he kind of interwoven in there that it, it sounded lovely how he did it. You know, it, it wasn't conflicting in my opinion. Yeah. And, and they beautifully balanced that too in the, you know, just in the ballad of serenity, you know, the main theme of the show. You, right. So the, th- the things that you've talked about here, they, they start off in the theme with like, you're getting hit with that Western feel right away, but then they drift into uh, some of the, the Asian, uh, you know, influences on like the latter half of the, um, of the song. And so the first time I heard that, I just went, wow, that this is, this is very unique, but all of it works none of this is feeling out of place and and so uh just the appreciation of having done that in four days just floored me i just couldn't believe it i mean it's it's also how like they just had the uh the effortless seem like uh seamless like uh swearing in mandarin in the show because (laughs) that could be done on network television um (laughs) and it carried in in the movie too (laughs) yeah it absolutely did um (laughs) You know, I think it's really cool to actually break down, though, um, some of the elements that we get within this score, because um, there's there's a, for, for a guy that only had to do this in four days and a very small amount of people who were involved with this, um, they had a ton of instruments involved. Oh, yeah. And that was very apparent from the very beginning, because you, you get this. It's like a violin or the fiddle coming in there, and it's it's very loud. Also, you start getting so many more elements in there. You, you start getting like a full orchestra. There's even like some digital instruments in there as well. And I, it's still blowing my mind that you said it was only four days. I, I cannot believe that. That's but yeah. I don't know that good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really don't know if I could, you know, pull something. I mean, because it was like, what? How many episodes was Firefly? 13? 13, 14? 13, 14. That sounds about right, yeah. And not aired in the right order either. Yeah, so the the train job was the first one that aired. And um, Serenity, I I don't know if the pilot episode, the the two-hour episode, I I, I can't remember when that aired or if it aired first or later on or what. Um, But, yeah, I mean that amount of stuff that's going on in each episode and you had to, I mean, he had to sit there and keep, you know, those reoccurring themes going, man. I just, Oh man, I don't know if I could have done that. <laughs> not, four, not, not four days. No, man. not in four days, man. Uh, <laughs> I would have had a well, week. Uh, the, the, week the, yeah. That could have taken a bit like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, we've covered uh, a couple times here, how Fox manages to just royally screw up every one of its properties, you know, especially if they're kind of a thin line of whether or not they're going to survive. And yeah, I think it was hard enough to introduce nine different characters in your first episode. And then, and then Fox tell you, we never want to see that episode. So give us something else. (laughs) That's what they told the creators. I I just don't understand that, but very disappointing. um, yeah, well, they they yeah, were totally. trying to they were trying to like promote like so many different shows at that time. I think their their big show at that time was uh, Fastlane, and that was like Mick G, you know, from Charlie Angels. 
they were like, oh, you know, this is going to be the big thing and everything. And it's like, no, no, no. It should have been Firefly, guys. You mm-hmm. screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they really did. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, one of, one of the mysteries that I found out about the, the score of this show was that uh, there are fans for quite a long time that were trying to figure out like what an instrument was from a couple different spots throughout the series. They just couldn't figure it out. Um, so, you know, there was a couple things that Edmondson had to do because he didn't have an orchestra. He only had a few, you know, uh, a few folks that were even aligned to this that could help him with it. And so throughout the series, uh, because of this, uh, synthesizer usage at times, mm-hmm. people were wondering, uh, there's this one, one tone they just couldn't figure out. And this would actually, uh, get discovered later on. So I'm not sure if you've heard of uh, musician Chris Bleth before, um, but he was a, yeah, he was a big part of creating the, the score for this series. And so, uh, years later he would pop up on a message board and let people know that this like mystery tone, uh, that we were hearing all these years was actually a bass clarinet. Um, which, Oh yeah. Throw- I, I picked up on that. I'm like, is that a bass clarinet? That sounds like a contrapuntal. <laughs> I, I, I was eating dinner and I went back this afternoon after I cooked dinner. I went back and uh, while we were eating, I was listening to to see if I could pick up anything for us to talk about this afternoon. And I heard it. It sounded like a contrabass. I'm like, I feel yeah. like I'm in band class. Is that a contrabass? <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy yeah. that I'm right. so many years later (laughs) yeah it was one of those crazy things like uh i just couldn't believe that that you know there's all these people listening to this and they couldn't figure it out for the longest time and you you just knew it right away so that's that's awesome (laughs) this Um, is where it comes in where she's the whole you know the classically trained and i'm not so i did not even pick up on that (laughs) i've heard around a lot of musicians in my day Well, it, there's that's a steep hill to climb for this show to pick all those elements out. So I was talking to uh, to Joe about this before we, you know, before y'all joined. And so what I ended up doing when I was listening to the scores of the the show and the movie, um, I would funnel all my sound through a single earbud, listen to it for a little bit, and then I would funnel it through two, and then see how hard it was to like, you know, recognize when these things would change, and. With with Firefly, what was so unique about it was uh, the fact that they had so many different elements that comprised this score. Um, but just to read a couple of these things off, I mean, you at any given time, we've got either a piano, a cello, we talked about the synthesizer, and then they'll come in all of a sudden and hit you with a sitar or a dobro. And it's hard for you to know which <laughs> ones those are, <laughs> given it really which... Is. It really, yeah, really is. Yeah, the dobro is is really, you know, used when you start talking about old Southern jazzy uh, blues music. Uh, You know, I recently put together a cigar box guitar and, you know, with a cigar box guitar, uh, you've got. uh, Thank you, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) You've got this, you know, you you wear your either your your glass. I can't remember the name of it, but you wear it on your finger. It's either glass or copper and you slide. It's just done with slide sounds. And the Dobro is very similar to that. It's a very, uh, you know, Americana based, you know, instruments. So uh, I love the fact that he kind of had that in uh, the score because it did. It made it have that that Western feel that that, you know, old 
old timey Western, almost like the turn of last century type of feel, you know, well, yeah, maybe yeah. centuries ago now, I forgot we're like 2021. <laughs> 20, <now>, but... <laughs> well, this is great. I am learning so much. When you said Dobro, I just assumed that was one of the Asian instruments. Oh, like, oh. Oh, the first time it's gotta I, be Asian. Oh no, it's not. That's Americana. It's classic Americana. I have no it, idea what any of this is. The, the first time I heard Dobro, I thought somebody was just like making fun of my weight, and then I went, "Okay, well that sounds that, that sounds appropriate." Uh, but yeah, the Dobro is like it's like it's classic. It's classic Western like Americana. Like the if you've never seen one before, like this is for the folks that have just never visualized it. Um, you know, Leslie talked about how it's played. Typically, it's you sit down and you're actually holding it over your, over your legs, right? Almost like a keyboard in a sense. And, uh, and, and you're like, you're playing it across your leg and it's, it's every time I've seen it, that's how it's been played. And so, um, that like, every time you hear that, like once you know what it is and you can kind of pick it out, um, it's, it's just something you and listen not, for now throughout the series. You slide. So it's not plucked. It's the sliding sound. So basically you yeah. pluck on one side and you slide it. Uh, so it's got a sliding where the sitar is, is plucked because you got more than one string. So if you actually listen to the sitar being played, you could tell because you can hear the string work. But with the dobro, a very much like the cigar box guitar, it's it's slid down. So it's like that. It's got that. Uh, it's not distinct, you know, plucking noise that you would hear like on a guitar or, um, you know, a stringed instrument. I think the first time I ever heard about a dobro was a uh, song Curtis Lowe. Yes. Yeah, Leonard Skinner. Yeah, yeah, Leonard Skinner. <laughs> We're from the South. Dobro. <laughs> That's the first. I'm like, what's a Dobro? <laughs> <laughs> We're from the South. <laughs> you haven't listened to the ballad of Curtis Lowe. He talks about yeah. Curtis Lowe and his Dobro. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one of the first times I even heard of uh, a similar Dobro was uh, from the Congos. The song Come With Me Now. They they play a version yeah. of a, of a Dobro. Oh, it's just, it hits you every time you hear, I mean, every time I hear it, I, I get the hairs are standing up in the back of my neck. And so, um, that was one of those things I really loved about this series, but, uh, something I thought was cool about, uh, something that happens in the movie, we'll, we'll save it for the Serenity movie, but in the series, they kind of saved individual instruments for certain characters. And so what I thought yeah. was really interesting, yeah, it was, uh, they actually have an Armenian, uh, oboe called the deduck that they use for um oh what's his name for uh, mishka the the mobster that you know cuts off mal's ear right. his theme specifically uses the deduck or i think i'm pronouncing that direct or correctly it's it's deduck or deduck it's hard to know exactly where i'm enunciating it properly here must pronounce stuff all the time on our show so no that's fine you know I, I, yeah. there's like so many times i've sit there try to you know say an instrument to somebody and it's like a you know uh a more professional composer than I am. And he goes, you're saying that completely wrong. And I'm like, I don't care. I know what it is. I not what the sound it means here. That's what it makes. So yeah, no, you're fine. A deduct. Yeah. Yeah. When, when yeah. you said deduct, I thought right. it was like a Dybbuk box, like those haunting things. Uh, so again, there's a reason why I have like not made it past that recorder. No, no, <laughs> if that wasn't obvious at this point. Well, well I mean, Joe, to be honest with you, the, the duck, it, it looks almost like an East Asian, like, you know, flute or recorder. If you just, if you didn't know what it was and you just looked at it, you know, head on, it, it, it honestly kind of looks like that. But, but that was what I thought was, was really awesome because once again, we're talking about this in the frame of four days, you know, how, 
how did they have the, I guess, who else was involved in this to be able to rope in all of these different instruments that just work so well together? I mean, it, it's just, yeah. As you just mentioned, you had a different instrument for each one of the characters. And Chris and I, when we watched the show, we discussed how kind of reminiscent it was of the good and bad and the ugly. Because really when uh, the good and bad and the ugly came out, uh, granted that that score has won you know tons of awards. It was groundbreaking. But mm -hmm. the good, the bad, and the ugly, each one of those characters had a different sound that corresponded to that character. So anytime you see the character, you would hear it's his theme. So uh, you know that was filmed in the the American West, supposedly during the Civil War. You know that was the whole premise of that movie. And so even watching this, you hear you you hear those elements, and it puts you in mind of uh that score and that movie that was filmed in the west so one yeah. one of the things i found out about greg edmondson uh, i was looking at his imdb and there was not a whole lot of you know uh big name stuff firefly and uncharted was like his his bigger things but like his first thing was a show called cop rock oh I my know. god cop rock <laughs> Yeah, no. I was, <laughs> yeah, that was the first oh, thing. No. He was like a music co-producer on that show. So it's like, I uh, have you guys heard of this? So I mean, Joe, apparently you have, but uh, Mark, have you have you guys heard about this show? For me, that's a four hundred four. So that is yeah. a file not found over here. <laughs> yeah. I am now like forever scarred that Greg uh, the Greg Agmanson is attached to Baby Merchant in any capacity. <laughs> really, it's a musical show about cops. What? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So here, here's the question I want to ask: If Firefly had kept going, when would we have gotten the musical episode? Oh, I mean, that seems like a standard. It's like a season five is the musical <laughs> episode. Well, no. See, so Josh mm -hmm. you know, he did Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and yeah. Buffy mm -hmm. had. A musical episode so where they sang. You, you had the was... two elements right there. Joss Whedon, who has a musical, you know, episode in Buffy, and Greg Edmondson, who did Cop Rock. So you were gonna have a musical episode <laughs> in Firefly if the show <laughs> kept going past the first season. I'm, I'm as soon as I saw this, I'm like, this this would have happened. This would have happened. I would have seen Mal <laughs> Jane strike up a musical and then what would and then what River would have just danced the whole time or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what though? It's funny you mentioned this because there would be a, a critical building block to uh, Dr. Horrible's sing along blog, if you remember yeah. uh, mm -hmm. Nathan Fillion would be in that. So I mean, you know I what get actors can usually yeah. say. Yeah. yeah, I guess we did get our Firefly musical with a crossover. <laughs> you know what, though? I'm really happy you bring up, uh, you know, how how uh, Mel and Anara, how they interact with each other, because when we talk about the themes of the characters, they are two of the people who Edmondson really liked to elicit an emotional response from when you see them together, right? Because we have this will they, won't they relationship neither one of them wants to tell the other person how they're feeling. So how does he do that? He does it with violin that almost tears your heart in half. I mean, every time I hear it, um, and I don't know if you agree with it or not. No, no, definitely. And, and violin, I hate to say it's, it's almost stereotypical for that to happen, but 
it's the only way to really get that emotion across. It's the only it's the romantic way of doing that. You know, we had a uh, episode that we recorded on James Horner. Uh, have we released that one yet? Yeah, yeah it's, it's so it we released episode that episode. So James Horner, you know, he's a composer, and he was really good at eliciting emotion in uh, his music. Uh, uh, there's scores that I can't even listen to his if I'm in a sad mood, it, and I've mentioned it in the podcast. It will make me just start crying. Um, yeah. But he uses the violin and uh, like Schindler's List, for example, when Schindler's List came out, yeah, that was John Williams. It was John Williams. But the theme was done on a solo violin. And even mm -hmm. listening to that theme song, it just it makes you want to tear up. Uh, so, you know, Chris is correct that, you know, you hear this violin, you see these interaction between these two characters that uh, have this kind of inner love story going on on top of everything else that's going on in the show. And you've got this, mm -hmm. this love story that, you know, is expressed with this violin. And, you know, it was really intelligent design, you know, on his behalf to do that. And I've even done that in, in a lot of my scores. There was a film I scored called Chemical Peel. And uh, for it's the a horror movie, guys, yeah, it was a horror movie, but there's <laughs> <laughs> one scene in there. No, there was this one scene in there, though. Um, the director wanted um, this very personal, personable sound, and so he was like, Hey, can we have like a solo violinist come in? And it was the first time I ever worked with like a live instrument. And the entire scene, I originally had like you know, more orchestra coming in, piano, and everything else. And then when I heard these the solo the solo violin part, I just left that and I said, "This is what we're going to have because it it brings more emotion to the scene if we have just the violin." Yeah, I thought you were going to say for a moment that when like you need to apologize to Leslie for something that you just have a solo violin because you know <laughs> it's going to really help the apology hit. <laughs> but, I have a violin. But, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if she knows I have uh, one. It's in the closet. <laughs> no, I've seen it. Um, okay. I, I might do that now. I'll, I'll have it on a soundboard. I've always said I need like a little personal soundboard and I can play it whenever I want. So uh, I'm going to do that from now on. You know, when I do something stupid and I have to apologize, I'll just. <laughs> Better let me know how. Punch him. Yeah. Punch say, let me know how that works because traditionally I've been using a cowbell um, in that same scenario. <laughs> and so, needless to say, I am single. Um, <laughs> that that scenario just doesn't work. Cowbell has well, now you no know. Fevers. Use the violin. Use the violin. You'll you'll be okay. wrong choice instrument. Yeah. <laughs> well, a cowbell is for fever. You know. Yeah, absolutely. It's that's what the prescriptions for. It's always cowbell, but yeah, it's not. Exactly. Not not love interests, no. Which is shocking to think that we've got like this space western, and the cowbell was not used a whole lot for the the score. It's like a missed opportunity here, you know. Um, yeah, I think but, that would have been before yeah. the musical episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I give them a lot of credit for what they were able to do in a short period of time here, and there's a lot of responsibility I think in balancing uh, how they, they 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 put these instruments you know to work and. To piggyback once again off of the violin, they don't just use it for Malinanara, but they also lead off the pilot with it at the Battle of Serenity Valley, uh, you know, where they lose the ba the battle, and that's all you hear. They they wash out all the other noises. You just hear the violin, and Mal is staring at the at the ships as they're you know slowly coming in. They're losing the fight, right. and so for for me that that was I, the first time I saw it. I saw that episode. I mean, I. I didn't know how to emotionally react to it. It was that powerful. And it was a Fox TV show that elicited that response out of me. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was um, amazing. 
amazing scene with that. And especially, you know, again, Greg Edmondson, you know, really pulled it off, especially with only four days. I hate to keep saying that, but I mean, it, it, that <laughs> we just really need to address at how powerful that is. You know, he could only do this, you know, he had four days to do this and he created that much of a response. And with limited you orchestra. He had limited, you know, resources right. on top of that. Yeah. I mean, it's that's... like MacGyver of the music world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to make a score yeah. and I've got a bass clarinet and a dobro. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. Come from and a turkey baster out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> see what you can do with this. Make me cry. Get a score. Well, yeah. I, it, it's just amazing. I, I, I still, once again, I am floored by the amount of instruments they were able to collect for this score. Um, what they were able to do with it and and just how they were able to keep everything unique, you know, uh, in, in bringing those together rather than just making it sound like a flare uh, in a piece of music. Right. Um, and uh, there's there's a term you're going to see a lot. If, if anybody wants to research the score of this this property, you're, you're going to see in quotes ethnic winds a lot. For some reason, they love to say ethnic winds when they talk about uh, using things like, you know, bamboo flutes, for example. Um, you occasionally hear those throughout the the score of this, um, which I always thought was interesting just to call it ethnic winds because I wanted to actually find out what they were using. It, I didn't know if you guys found uh, any any other specific instruments like that. No, not for like the um, ethnic winds is something that's uh, used a lot because a lot of the software that I use, it's you know, there'll be like a different category and he says ethnic winds or ethnic drums, you know. So. A lot of those wind instruments aren't like, you know, our, our classic instruments you'd see like, you know, in an orchestra or in the band. Uh, it's like pan flute, for example, or yeah. uh, the instrument you mentioned earlier that was like a recorder. Uh, you know, one of those, that's part of that ethnic wind, you know, group. It's just native instruments because, uh, you know, men, you know, kind from the beginning it seems like they've been making instruments out of whatever they could and the woodwinds were one of the easiest because they're like oh look here's a reed let's blow into it let's make a music you know <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> let's whittle this oh here, here's yeah. a curve bottle let's blow into it you know i do that, <laughs> I do that. he's like stop making that noise this is now <laughs> i'll sit there and she'll start doing it and i'm going and i'm focusing on my phone or something or music and i'll just hear like and i'm like what is that noise am i going crazy I look over and he's looking at me i'm staring. playing in a glass bottle I'm like oh look i got a glass bottle let's sing it yeah oh that's awesome well i i guess you know i've shared a couple of standouts for me are there any other standout moments you know for for anyone else here from what they've been listening to i uh, let's see um one of one of the things that really stood out that i did find that was really interesting how he could do from you know go from the the live orchestra or you know the lack of instruments you know orchestral instruments he had and he could go from that to the synthesized sound and it could do it almost seamlessly i mean mm -hmm. I, and it wasn't like the synthesized was you know too much because even back then when you had the synthesized or digital sound it it sounded like that you could kind of tell it's like you know it's not it's not quite there but with this, it worked. It there was there was a nice balance of all of those instruments. So I mean, overall, I mean, the entire score was fun from beginning to end. So I don't really have like a standout uh, piece. I mean, all of it. I enjoyed every single bit of it, and it was one of those I I can go back and listen to again from start to finish. I just leave it on in the background. So yeah. that that speaks a lot right there because there's 
only like a handful of scores that I can really do that with is just to go back and listen to them again, even after I just finished listening to it. You hear something different. Right. And hear something different yeah. every time. Yeah. Well, yeah. to, to, to make sure that there are some, or that, that there, that there's no dry eyes in the room left before we move on to serenity. Uh, ironically enough, one of the last pieces that was made by Greg Edmondson would actually be the score for the message, which if, uh, if you remember is the episode where, uh, Mal and Zoe run into one of the soldiers that they knew from their past histories, Brown coats. And oh, yes, he, yes, they yes. have, to, yeah, they have to deliver his body back to his family. And right. so at this point, everybody on the cast had been gut punched. They knew they were canceled. So they're kind of putting the last pieces of work into the series. And, Greg Edmondson created the score for the message, knowing this would be his goodbye to everybody else on the show. So as you listen the next time to the score of the message, you know, it's already one of the hardest hitting pieces or hardest hitting scores from this, this series. But, uh, just knowing that the next time you see it, just make sure the tissues are nearby. Cause I, my voice is getting shaky. Just talking about it. <laughs> I'm being completely honest with you. Um, See, seeing it and knowing the context of it makes that episode hit so hard. You need to be sitting down every time. Well, uh, before we did this podcast, it's been, you know, a very long time since we sat down and watched Firefly. And so as we started watching it again, I was kind of like, I was like, all right, I need, I need to finish this. So now that you said that, <laughs> when we get to that episode, <laughs> it's going to be very hard to sit there and not tear up. Yeah. Chris is like, well, we got to finish this now. We've started it. Now we got to finish it, you know? And uh, I'm like, yeah, the first time I watched it was with Chris. I hadn't seen it. Uh, so we, we've been together almost 10 years. So when we first started dating is we sat down, he's like, Oh, you gotta watch the show. When I lived in Germany, I missed out on a lot of the American TV. You know, um, I watched German television and German MTV and, uh, yeah. some weird German shows, you know, or American shows dubbed in German, you know? So I, I missed out on that. So when we started watching it, Chris is like, Oh yeah, we, we've got to finish this now. And I'm like, absolutely. I forgot how much I really like Firefly. <laughs> and, uh, so I will have to also go back and listen now that I know the background story to that scene. Um, yeah. To, to see how impactful it is because you know, uh, there are a lot of instances where the actors know that that's going to be their last recording and they put all their emotion into that, you know, you, for example, supernatural, supernatural run for so long. And then, you know, when the guys found out they were canceled, you could tell in that last season that they were kind they were upset. And uh, yeah. so I'll have to, to actually focus on that too. Yeah. And it's gotta be, it's gotta be hard for a composer too, because it, it, especially since he probably put so much into the score, it was probably very emotional for him, you know, and, you know, from what you're saying, Mark, it, it's got to tell in the music. It has to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's actually a good segue into discussing the the film that would be called Serenity, named after the Firefly class ship uh, that Dave Newman would end up taking over the score for. Um, because, you know, when, when Universal ended up deciding to, you know, give piles of money to these people to make a, you know, a full-fledged movie out of it, um, unfortunately, Greg Edmondson, was one of those people that they said, you don't have enough Hollywood experience. So we need you to find someone who does. Yeah. And you know, yeah. my research that I did, Josh Whedon wanted a composer that could do practically anything. And so when he mentioned that David Newman's name came up, 
and they suggested him because you know he was attached to so many films so even josh yeah. Whedon requested somebody that was like a knack of all trades and yeah. dave newman got suggested oh josh yeah josh, josh. oh, josh oh it's, <laughs> it's okay it's okay yeah we're, we're, we're totally fine yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> well you know what Something interesting about Dave Newman that, that I think some folks may not realize is that he comes from a very prolific family, you know, of composers. Okay. Uh, and one of them that I wanted to talk to you specifically about would be, you know, Randy Newman of Toy Story <laughs> fame. Uh, you got he would ironic. <laughs> well, hey, to talk about Cop Rock one more time, Chris. Randy Newman did the score oh for, for Cop Rock. No. Are you serious? I, he totally you know, did. One, I didn't. I didn't click the IMDb uh, when I was looking at that. So, oh man, that's funny. <laughs> I think nice we're gonna have to include that. like t at least two Cop Rock songs, like linked <laughs> into like this episode. If you haven't experienced it and feel like you really need to, hear the two best ones, best Cop Rock songs. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, before we recorded tonight, I did not know that that was going to happen because I, when I, I, I haven't seen Cop Rock a whole lot, but when I Googled it, the first name I saw, Randy Newman, and I went, what? What? <laughs> how, how is this happening right now? This is, this isn't real. Wow. Yeah, totally. This Twilight um, Zone. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. I'm looking behind my back. I'm getting freaked out, you know? Good Lord. Uh, <laughs> imagine like what the pitch meeting for Cop Rock had to have looked like. Like, you know, it's really popular. <laughs> Police procedural shows. You know, it's also yep. great. Broadway. <laughs> a weird love child for TV. And Fox oh. is like, you know what? We've got some cash. Throw it at it. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And it also happened. Like, oh no! Oh. This is not, no. This was it like the Star Wars no. Christmas. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> I don't know if it was that bad, but it was pretty oh, no. bad. <laughs> Singing Ewoks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Hey, I, I know a guy who can record for us that sounds like he got kicked in the mouth by a horse. Let me call him up real quick. You're gonna love him. Uh, but, yeah, you yeah, know what? <laughs> But, oh, <laughs> so yeah, Dave Newman would would pick up the mantle there. You know, once again, you you mentioned he was a referral from Universal, um, and I didn't actually realize this at first that he collaborated a ton with Danny DeVito and Tim Burton. I mean, pretty much he was attached to all of their work for almost fifteen years, wasn't he? Um, what uh, David Newman? Yeah, yeah, Danny DeVito and Tim Burton. He, he was attached with them. Uh, and so when I was going back and looking at my research at some of the stuff that he's done, and I was looking at his filmography, uh, you know, I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize he did all of these movies and all yeah. of the, like my childhood movies that I used to like as a kid. I'm just like, wow, he's just like all over the place. Well, like, like in the, yeah. the nose, you know, you got uh, the Brave Little Toaster. You got yeah. the original Freaking Weenie. And yes. then uh, throw mama, you know, throw mama from a train, or throw mama from the train. Sorry, and then um, what what else? You, you got uh, Eddie Murphy. Uh, he did Eddie Murphy films. He did a uh, Bowfinger. He did the Nutty Professor one and two, I think. And then he also critters. did, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and critters. 
That's one of yeah. my favorite films. Yeah, uh, he's a Critter fan. Yeah. Critters. And, and that was, <laughs> that was critters. a really interesting score, too, for Critters, because uh, mm-hmm. it was like a mixture of orchestral and, you know, synth sound, you know, yeah. back in the 80s, though. Mm-hmm. And that was and a one, really- one big rock song, one massive <laughs> metal rock song yeah. that was made explicitly yeah. for the movie. Um, yes, Power of the Night. <laughs> Power seen- of the Night. <laughs> it had that too it had oh, yeah, that, yeah, that no, you that did. Power, you power ballad without that well joe he would de- there's even more cred that he would have with you he also did the score for the phantom Ooh, so, the phantom yeah, Billy Zane. Some Billy Zane Phantom movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> movies. There's only the one, just the one movie. Yeah. Sadly, yeah, he, didn't get a yeah. sequel. Yeah, he, that was yeah, a I fun. Mean, movie. Yeah, I like the Phantom. <laughs> I'm kind of uh, sad they also, didn't go with like the original like caution stripe underwear that he wore originally. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just go with black. Wow. Like, we have a yeah, weird. I, like, it probably won't read well. I think that was a smart, <laughs> smart choice. <laughs> well, and you know what? Dave Newman probably just didn't have the time, even if they did do a Phantom 2, because of all this other work that he was involved in. And, you know, by the time he would come to Serenity, um, you know, one of the things I was concerned with, like, obviously I've heard, I've listened to both of these properties, watched both these properties for the last, you know, 15 years. And when I started to think about watch or listening to this for the score, I thought, is money going to really impact what this property does emotionally? Because when you start to think about uh, going from this, like almost like a grassroots, you know, uh, pull them up by your bootstraps to get this thing done, ingenuity type of conversation, and then you get into actually having money, time, studio backing, you know, just how different is it going to feel here? And so that was my first thought of going into this, you know, kind of, uh, with a blank slate um, thinking about this score and does the Hollywood feel of this, you know, uh, distract from the movie in any way for you? So, and I, I discussed this with Chris yesterday because we watched uh, Serenity yesterday. It's been, like I said, it's been a while since we watched Firefly and Serenity. And, you know, when you listen to Firefly, you hear that Western lighthearted feel. You had all of this tension in the show, but yet because of the score, you had this lightheartedness about it uh, that, you know, they were trying to do their best. Not sitcom per se, but it was light and airy and nice. It had a nice flow. When I started listening to the score to Serenity after we, you know, we started watching it and I noticed that that lighthearted feel was gone it changed the whole feeling of the movie in my opinion and in my opinion it wasn't necessarily a good thing um i tried to keep open mind throughout the whole show because i really loved the movie uh but you had such an intense score in my opinion in pieces and the intensity to me was kind of too much in in places because you know um the main character he was quirky in the show uh chris and i loved his quirkiness we loved the the fact that you know he kind of cracked jokes it was kind of it wasn't 
I would say dry sense of humor, but it was funny. You would have jabs in there yeah. that were hilarious. And the score kind of added to that. But once you get to the movie and you get this Hollywood feel of this, you know, and this intensity and this foreboding sound. And when he would crack jokes, it just did not, in my opinion, register as funny as they would have if they were in the show. Yeah. So. Yeah. I felt like it kind of changed the kind of direction of everything at that point, just introducing this different score and this different uh, composer. Mm -hmm. Another thing too, it was uh, the, the Midwestern feel was, you know, the cowboy feel it was gone. It was gone, it was gone right yeah. now. Mm -hmm. Not saying the score was bad. I mean, that's, that's not what we're doing. I mean, cause David Newman is a fantastic composer and the score is really well done. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. it, it, when you're coming from the show, and you got what Greg Edmondson did, and then you come into the movie, and it's like David Newman, you know, David Newman was just like doing his own thing, but he was kind of copying some of the stuff that was done with the show, but in his own way, it did not work. It did not, yeah. it, there was no continuation there yeah. from the show to the movie. And one now, thing that, I yeah, I have heard that. Yeah. And one, one thing that, like, when I, I, I went back and watched the movie recently too is, noticing just how much the movie like there actually isn't music where they drop the score almost entirely and i think while that is really good sometimes to, like add to the drama or add to tension and just make you live in the moment of the movie one spot that i thought was a really missed opportunity that could have used a lot of that light-hearted western feel was when you actually got back to seeing the crew for the first time in the movie and you're right. kind of seeing that's like business as usual for them still and they have that yeah. lighthearted banter among them all. Like that would have been a really good spot to have that same like space westerny feel that just was completely missing from this score. And, and it's like maybe uh, he tried yeah. to to make a western sound, but mm -hmm. it, to me it sounded more Irish. I'm like, yeah. why? Mm -hmm. was Irish? <laughs> it was missing, you know, the Dobro, for example. Yeah, you didn't yeah. hear that. And I'm like, this is this is Irish sounding. This is not western to me. And Dave Newman also admitted this himself that, you know, he wanted to pay some homage to the show and, and their score, but it only really comes across uh, two different times here. So that violin pokes through a little bit of the, you know, the orchestral work that they're doing in the very beginning. I think it's the right after you're, you know, you're seeing the Serenity logo and everything and they're, they're playing you the theme. You hear that violin come in a little bit. So you're, you're, you know, that's familiar if you're, if you love the show, but he wouldn't reprise that at all throughout the rest of the movie until the very end he brings back some of those strings um at only those two moments in the whole movie and yeah it, it feels like it's a missed opportunity just because of the emotional weight that we've talked about and, and how he like it was used masterfully over that one season of tv and so um yeah it's it's like you said chris very careful to say it's not a bad score mm -hmm. but but in comparison to what has already happened here and what they've used to uh, control narratives before, um, you know, why, why completely avoid that style of storytelling? Right. And it also sounded like he also tried to experiment a lot with the score because it, I mean, from the, from the list that we just gave you, a lot of his background is comedic, almost family oriented films and then you get serenity and it's a very dark sounding score i mean yeah. like we just said but there was a lot of experimentation in there some of it worked some of it didn't there mm -hmm. there were moments mm -hmm. in there i'm going ah that no that's not 
no, that's just not working. There was like no. weird piano movements in there. And I'm just going, what is going on here? What, you know, what was the, what was the thought process there? Was it, you know, Joss Whedon uh, coming in there or was it the executives coming in there saying, Hey, look, we want it like this. Cause if they were the ones, if it was the executives coming in or, or universal coming in and saying, Hey, look, let's hire Dave Newman. Let's, you know, instead of Greg Edmondson, maybe they were kind of influencing the score because that, that does happen a lot. So I, I wonder if it was, it, it was one of those things is I want to be like a fly on the wall, kind of sit there and go, what was the reason why? Why did you do this? <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> well, okay. So, the, like digging into the history of this, it's a combination of both. So we talked about how Universal came in and said, "We don't want you to use Edmondson. We want you to use Newman." Well, then Whedon himself also told Newman, "I don't want you to make what we had for the show. I want you to do something." more in, in line with your own interpretation because Newman had never even heard the score from the show. Oh, so wow. it no. was, yeah, it was literally a combination of both. I think that he, you know, we just covered star Trek, for example, and we just did that episode and mm -hmm. he was able to take the elements from all of the shows and the movies and make it his own and it stand alone, but yet it felt like it, fit into the Star Trek universe. Mm -hmm. uh, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman is really good at taking somebody else's work. If he, you know, uh, if somebody's done a movie before him, taking that score piece, integrating it into his score, making it his own. Uh, I think that if they would have given uh, Dave Newman the chance, he could have taken some of that feel from the show, integrated it into the movie and mm -hmm. made it, his own he could i mean composers do it all the time and they have done it and i, I think that it, it, it was, would have been possible if they would have given him that opportunity and it's sad to hear that whedon was one of the reasons behind it i mean because i mean given the fact that edmondson you know only had four days with firefly it was like okay well you know and what he did was so great why why detract or sub, you know, why, why not bring that back? Why? I mean, again, I it's, it's the, it's the, the thought process of why yeah. do that? Why do that? Yeah. And why kill wash in the last 15 minutes of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> why are you doing any oh. of this? That's no. right. We were See, so sad. We were so here's sad. the thing with the movie. Uh, like, like I said, I, the way I got introduced to the series was the movie first. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, oh, man, when they killed that guy, I really liked that character. And then I started <laughs> yeah. watching the show. I'm like, he's one of my favorite characters in the yeah. show. Mm -hmm. the movie. And the, the movie really, to me, we watched it last night. And the movie, to me, really starts to fall apart by the third act. When you get to this, I mean, mm -hmm. you got the Reavers and everything else. And I'm start going what is going on? I mean, this is nothing like the show and they're like in some weird town. I'm like, I'm so confused and lost. And now you got zombies pretty much into the mix. <laughs> yeah. And then Wash dies, you know, and, you know, and of all the zombies out there, the Reavers honestly make the least sense out of any movie zombie. <laughs> when you really break them down, like they're these like, Oh, they're like just full pure rage is how they explain them. But yet yeah. like they kill everything except each other. They're not mad at each other for some reason. And even though they're completely mindless, they can fly spaceships. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's how amazing. do they fly spaceships? <laughs> like, Joe, I can't do you, that, and I'm educated reasonably. You and I have just talked about how, you know, the reaction of Chris Farley on SNL when he finds out he's drinking, you know, coffee crystals <laughs> instead oh of regular God. coffee. <laughs> yep. Now, 
that that kind of rage, no. I think, is, is possible to, <laughs> to wrap my head around for the Reavers. Okay, like they, mm -hmm. someone told these Reavers long ago that you were drinking coffee crystals, and now they're just out to get rid of them. Out to kill everyone must die. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but you know what, though, Chris, to your point, though, about that, right? You mentioned how this movie feels so much different from the TV show, and the score has a lot to do with that. Now, the one thing I will say is that you mentioned this builds to this point, right? Like you're in, you're introduced to the the core group again. We go through some some stakes that start to rise just a little bit, and throughout that, that time, this score is consistently brooding. It's it's a brooding score yeah. the entire time, so you know it's leading up to something. So for me. When you finally do see, you know, the uh, Serenity pop through that cloud, and then it just has all the Reavers behind it, you know, at least if you're if you're paying attention to the pulse, you're not going to really be shocked there. Um, so I would say, at least in the sense that the the score knew that it had to, I wouldn't say hold your hand, but you know, illuminate the path a little bit. You're going to get to something eventually. Um, at least it succeeded in doing that. I think you know you're taking these serious tones and ushering people towards you know what's uh basically a scene you haven't witnessed in the firefly universe yet right and no i'll give you that it it, it is very big it is very grand uh, a lot different than the show because uh Edmondson's score was very small compact uh not just by his limitations but also the score itself what he was designing with the characters in the story but and what Newman had, he had to basically take that and and, you know, make it his own thing and then go big and grant. And for that, uh, for that scene that you're talking about right there, I remember hearing there was a, there were action moments before this, but they were never that big and that chaotic. And yeah. when I heard that listening to it, I'm going, OK, what is happening in this scene? Because it is utter chaos i i don't even want to know his writing process for that because it was there were so many different instruments just going off all at one time the huge low brass you know and the 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 percussion instruments and the the chasing strings that he had going on in there it is yeah. just insane to listen to on its own and for the film it's even more chaotic because there's so much going on i mean yeah, it, you it was, yeah yeah, it was it was nuts. It really and it was. does. It sucks you into the scene. So like yesterday when we were watching it, uh, it just I mean, it sucked you into the moment that, you know, they're trying to break through. Uh, you got this, you know, ultimate assassin fighter that seems to be, you know, tracking them uh, throughout the universe. But it, it pulled it. It had the ability to pull you into that scene. And it did. It did yeah. its job. And I agree with you there. It built to that point, And then, you know, then all massive chaos and hell broke out. But it, yeah. then oh, it's, yeah. it's after that, that's when the film, to me, kind of starts to, you know, falter a little bit. I think that's when the film starts to kind of fall apart. Same with the score. The score, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's tracking along with the story. So even it itself starts to kind of go down a little bit, in a sense. Yeah. And and it really goes downhill after Walsh has killed him. So <laughs> but I think they really knew what they were doing. They're like, you know, he's gone. The heart of this movie's gone. Let's just let's just finish it the best we can. Like, really. yeah. Through it. Let's finish. Yep. We got a half hour left on the shift. Let's just get it done. Yep. Yeah. Let's just let's just do like a Rodney Dangerfield movie. We'll just play some <laughs> 80s rock at the end and let's just yeah, roll those credits. <laughs> Uh, Let's bring in Danny Elfman for this in part right here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really like what you said, though, Leslie, about 
about pulling you in because you know through up like before uh, this scene in the movie you know you do have layers to some of these these uh some of the score where you've got guitar all of a sudden they hit with mandolin you hear ukulele in a little bit you hear banjo at some point so i mean chris you mentioned how that can be sporadic in this like this big action sequence um but it does help I mean, established a little bit of an identity uh, earlier in the movie, but not in the sense that we got with this like balance of culture in the TV series, right? Because right. you have instruments that are, you know, on the other half of the world that they're bringing in uh, for these really poignant scenes, and they make they make a lot of sense. They they fit, and and yeah, and here it's it's just uh, it can feel like a mess at times, um, unfortunately. But but yeah, uh, the 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 example I gave Joe, we were talking about this a little bit. Was that if you've ever walked into uh, a movie like halfway through, you're just late, right? You accidentally walk into it. The music from Serenity, like I felt like if I walked into that theater not knowing what the movie was, I just assume it's generic action movie music. Yes, I mean, right. Mm -hmm. That that's really what it suffers from. And, um, and like I said before, you know, that since this was the you know my start to the Firefly universe, and when I saw David Newman's name, I'm going, what? And see, at that point, that's when I really started liking, you know, a lot of film scores. And I remember it, like you said, it was very generic to me. I'm just like, ah, okay. But then when the show happens, I'm going, man, this score really kind of stands out a lot more than what I remember of the movie. Let's go back and watch the movie. And when same thing, and I'm like, ah, it is kind of generic. You know, there, there's no real present theme, I guess you could say. I mean, there is a theme. It is there it's at the beginning, but it it's not prominent it's enough. not revisited you know there are a lot of composers that will either revisit the the motif that they set up at the beginning or they'll rework it in some way they'll change the key you know they, they will drag it out they'll speed it up but you didn't hear that it was just uh just to me sporadic noise it's, you know throughout you know throughout the movie yeah yeah like well if you're expecting uh the behavior of like john murphy for example you're not going to get it here that's just no. not <laughs> i mean uh honestly i i kind of felt spoiled uh with because chris we, you and i have talked about some of our favorite composers uh when mm -hmm. we first started talking and um i don't want to say that john murphy is like my my benchmark for like favorite composers but he he kind of is just because of uh i'll use 28 days later as an example because um mostly because i hope everybody here knows the 28 days later soundtrack but oh, yeah. you know he takes he takes that incredibly dark and kind of hopeless main theme of that movie and he manages to present it again throughout the rest of the film in different ways even though it sounds almost the same you you still get a totally different feel based on what the scene is there so um unfortunately serenity just doesn't have any of those moments and it's it's unfortunate because we've all said the movie's great we love the movie for the most part yeah. um but it's just hard to know where the the composition is going to take us next. Yeah, um, and that was one of the things that Chris and I talk about when we talk about movie scores um, and revisiting some of the movies that we love because it makes us kind of nervous because now we're looking at it from a different perspective. You're not just looking at, okay, this is a great movie. You're looking at it from the musical perspective, like, okay, now why did they do this? Why does this suck? You know, sort of thing going on here. And uh, you know, the second episode that we did was Back to the Future, and that's my all you know all time favorite movie. I've even mentioned in an episode I could quote every single line in that movie, which drives him nuts. And um, <laughs> it really does. 
Uh, but my fear was that now that we're looking at it from a different perspective, isn't this going to change how I feel about the movie? Because now I'm looking at it from the musical perspective. And the same thing happened to Serenity when I watched it. I'm like, am I going to have a different opinion about this movie? Because I just finished watching Firefly uh, and listened to that. And now we're doing a comparison. I said, is that going to change my opinion on the movie? Yeah. So. And it, it it sometimes does. Unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, it does. It really does. Because when you're when you're looking when you're listening to it when you're you're really trying to point out the score in your head as you're watching the film, you're going, well, wait a minute, why why did they do this? What what you know? What was the motivation? Right? You know, and you're going, well, there should have been some music for this character. There should have been a music for this emotion, this this storytelling moment right here. And there's nothing, or or there's too much score, and you're just like. Uh, and and so with Serenity, there there were so many moments where you could have had a, like a outstanding theme throughout the entire yeah. film, but it wasn't there. I think that it would have kind of brought the movie in a little bit better. And I think it would have granted it was a good movie, as we've all discussed, but I think it would have kind of elevated it to that next level if that star yeah. was on point. Well, and to use your point of Back to the Future, if you had like the power of love that would you know, you're not using the lyrics, you're just using little bits of it throughout the film. They pop up, like you said, it, it tethers you back to something. Um, right. the, the only thing I will say here about about Dave Newman that, because um, you mentioned that it, it sounded like he was experimenting quite a bit with this score. Um, one thing that he did do that I thought was effective here was the theme of River Tam. And I'm not sure if you if you know about uh, that specific piece or not. Uh, the, the, I think that's like one of my favorite tracks was a uh, river goes wild. Uh-huh. He loves it. And yeah. And that goes into the experimentation I was talking about. Cause it, it, there's like so many different noises going off and it, it's just like the percussion instruments are just going crazy. And you've got this, what sounds like a weird electric guitar coming in there. But you know, that's kind of reminiscent of what's going on in her mind. Cause her mind well, yeah. is yeah. Yeah. all over the place. She doesn't have a, uh, stream of consciousness you would think that a, a, a typical person would have uh she's yeah. got most of the schizophrenia so you know it was a well the piece was well done because it kind of reflected on what was going on in her mind mentally so yeah i mean and in that that sense yeah dave newman was great in that mm-hmm. because that was another thing too because with the scene the way it starts off it's kind of the colors are kind of muted and she's doing her, her weird dance fighting that she's doing. And it's like, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's just whatever. I'm just like, uh, I'm kicking these guys across the room. It's no big deal. And the music yeah. is just like going crazy all of a sudden. But when it comes back into the reality format, the music is huge. And you've got this low brass coming in there and the trombones are blasting the notes, you know, the short uh, spiccato no staccato staccato, thank you not staccato staccato notes (laughs) and yeah these short stiletto notes i know know, these uh, short staccato notes that are coming in there and and it really adds to the attention and the uh the action that's going on Uh, i thought that that's one of my yeah i know it's really intelligent Mm -hmm. and uh a part of the score i think yeah when he would also sample uh this out of tune piano specifically for parts of her theme as well too um and like you mentioned some of the mental uh instability that's going on i thought that a an out of tune piano is perfect for a river because there's elegance in the piano right and sometimes even when you hear an off tune key 
just like with river being rough around the edges at times, you know, even though that key is off, there's still something to be admired about it, especially when you know about this. Yeah. Yeah. Just like how there's a beauty to river. Yeah. Quite yeah. Unpredictable, but enjoyable. All the, all right. The same. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I've used an untuned piano for before, you know, for stuff and it's it, stuff. Well, not just <laughs> stuff. I've used it for emotional things. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah so chris you're just sitting there at like 3 a.m and all of a sudden leslie shoots awake and you're just sitting there playing one key off you know <laughs> don't worry honey don't worry honey i'm gonna be playing the violin and it's gonna make you cry but in a good way we're getting there next five hours <laughs> oh man that's, oh that's man. hilarious <laughs> well um you know there, there are a couple things i wanted to end here with uh one being that the reviews for these scores, if you just kind of bounce around the internet a little bit, they're not going to match what we've talked about. There, there, there's going to be a lot more variance to it. Um, and I didn't know if you had a chance to look into any of that. I looked into some of it. And one of the things I was uh, finding was uh, they, were, they were talking about, I can't remember what it was. The, one of them I found, they didn't really like the western sound of firefly and i'm going what i think that the western sound of firefly though was very reminiscent kind of you know we skip years later to cowboys versus aliens uh, because you know yeah. you've got this wild west and now you got this this supernatural alien type of sci-fi element and uh it to me it was reminiscent so because this is prior to that it was ahead of its time it was ahead of its time to put those two elements together. You got the West, but you got this, this supernatural sci-fi. Because in essence, Firefly is a sci-fi show. You're in outer space. You've got aliens in it. And I feel like it was ahead of its time. So looking at those reviews, and I'm like, I don't know. Because I think that it was on the precipice to something greater that we have seen you know, years later. So what, yeah. what were you guys finding? What were you finding, Mark? Well, oddly enough, I found people that uh, were actually getting on Edmondson quite a bit for his use of synthesizer. And I thought that was really weird because the synthesizer is what balanced out the score of Firefly. You know, because yeah. Yeah, we've talked about how he uses, uh, you know, string instruments to get to a very specific setting for, you know, the like we'll call it the localization of that Western feel, right? Like, like that's that's very consistent, and he uses that to establish scenes. Well, when it comes to uh, like movement and action sequences, he shifts away from those and instead uses synthesizer, uh, usually paired with some type of percussion, in order to insinuate where we are moving somewhere. And he does it a lot. If you go back and listen to it, the the percussion and synthesizer takes us from one place to another, typically. Um, and so when people were getting on him for that, I went, well, if you're upset with Greg Edmondson, you know, about the synthesizer, have you listened to Serenity at all? Because uh, right. <laughs> they have a full orchestra and there are times where you don't even know the difference if it's, exactly. if it's the orchestra or the synthesizer. You know, um, and I, I think that the synthesizer also adds to that sci-fi element because you're in outer space. Okay. You have to be smart enough to get in outer space, which means that you're like light years away from where we are now. So you would think that they would have different instruments, which would be 
synthetic instruments, mm -hmm. synthesizers. So, yeah. I mean, you, so you've got all these elements you connect, it helps the, the movie flow. It helps the scene flow. It adds to that sci-fi element. I don't see a problem with it. Yeah, I really don't. Uh, and I, I even mentioned it. I said, I liked how he could blend, you know, his orchestral instruments with the synthetic sound. And I thought yeah. Edmondson did a great job of that. Uh, Newman, I mean, Newman did a great job of that as well, but in such a different way. I cannot believe that. I mean, really, they're getting on to him for, for that? I mean, <laughs> I'm like, did, did they hear Serenity? Did they know did what they was going on? Well, I mean, it's the internet, so it's half complaining and half cats. So yeah. that's just kind yeah. of what it is. Cute baby yeah. <laughs> yeah honestly joe and i have seen very uh similar like reviews for other properties that we've been looking at where like we either absolutely love something about it and then we see reviews that go no one loved what we loved scathing yeah Just, yeah and uh and ironically enough when it comes to you know newman's score people are actually uh there there are reviews out there that say that they they love the score they wouldn't change a thing there's you know there's absolutely uh yeah, like like no judgment. Yeah, yeah. So amazing. Oh, right, yeah. so here, here's what I want to know though: are are they coming from it as fans of the show, coming on it as you know the movie, or are they just listening to the score itself and judging it that way? Now, judging it by itself, yeah, it's it's a good score. I mean, if you're not a fan of the show, you don't know nothing about Firefly, and you just happen to come across you know David News score to and Serenity. Haven't even watched the movie. Yeah, hadn't even watched the movie. Pop the score in. You just pop the score in. Yeah, it's, it's a, a great, it's score. a good score. Yeah. But if you're coming at it from like what we're doing right now, fans of the show, fans of the movie, and we're comparing the two, then yeah, no, I'm sorry, I it, it doesn't I work. I think it misses the mark. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I think that have done so much with the score that he didn't and uh it, it was kind of disappointing to me because i would have liked to have seen the elements from the show uh in the music in the movie poor connectivity yeah. even because yeah. it's from the same it's, it's the same people it's the same universe i would have liked to have seen some sort of you know uh continuity there yeah. So we're making it, we're making it known how here's our review of the score. This is how we feel. <laughs> it missed the better. mark. Could have been better. <laughs> A yeah, for score. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Chris and Leslie, if you couldn't tell, we did you know watch your or listen to your show a little bit, and that's why we wanted to bring uh, some of that that element to to our show too, right? Because we we wanted to really utilize your talents and and get your your viewpoint on this. So. Uh, absolutely, you know, love that you could join us here. Um, and also to introduce you to our viewers, and uh, we wanted to just understand a little bit more about anything else you've got going on, um, as well as how to find you out there. All right, well, you can find us on social media. I mean, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, just on Facebook and Instagram, just type in measuring the score, you should be able to find us. Twitter, we're at measure the score. Uh, thanks to Twitter for you know, not letting me have measuring the score. So it's measure the score. Uh, you can send us an email measuring the score at gmail.com. I mean, and we've, we've got episode seven out right now. Uh, the next one that's going to be coming out is hard rain. And yeah, <laughs> Leslie's already. Sure it so you know, you'll, you'll kind of have an understanding of where we're going to go. That was tough, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand how you're going to take 
a natural disaster movie and take a heist movie <laughs> and merge it into one movie. It's just too much, too much going on. Mm -hmm. Oh, come on. The score is So anyway, but yeah, so that's what we've got going on. And that's going to be episode eight, I believe. So yeah, that, that one, I, I have a personal connection. You'll, you'll find out in the episode, but yeah. <laughs> but we, awesome. What was really great. What was really great. I, Got in touch with the composer Christopher Young, who did like Hellraiser and, and uh, Urban Legend and uh, the Ghostwriter film with Nicolas Cage, and um, I, I just got to ask him a question on Facebook. I said, um, "You know, what what are your thoughts on the on the score?" And he was, you know, very kind to, to you know send us some thoughts back. So we got to share that on the show. So it was that was really nice. Awesome. Well, a couple parting notes here. I wanted to just mention that we referenced throughout the the episode today. Um, there's some really good opportunities for crossover content here for folks that are fans of both shows. Um, the James Horner episode that Leslie mentioned is episode five. As she mentioned, they're doing a composer showcase there. Um, but as far as crossover content goes, y'all have done uh, two episodes that we've also covered. Uh, episode two is Back to the Future, as well as uh, episode six for you going into the Star Trek 2009 reboot. So. Um, for fans of of both shows there's a lot of cool stuff you can see on both ends here but once again chris leslie we can't thank you enough for joining you um and hopefully we can sit down again and do this yeah you know, in the and future as well. maybe the oh, next time we great. do this we can dive exclusively into johnny Steele and focus on power <laughs> of the night for one full hour Definitely. Make sure I'll feather my hair out just for that. I'll get my aqua net out. Oh, definitely. Please do it. Oh, please I got a crimper too. I can probably. Yes. Oh, man. Oh, please do it. That would be awesome. Full on white snake video hair. Oh, man. Oh, beautiful. Be I'll get my, my biker jacket ready. Find a way to go for this too. <laughs> I'll get my jean jacket, man. We'll do this. Who's going to wear the Michael Bolt wig? Uh, Mark. There, there, That's there Mark. <laughs> I can do it. My hairline, it's disappearing every day, guys. So it's getting ready for the wig. Yeah. Nice. Because nice. you know he used to sing rock songs. Yeah. <laughs> A huge huge thank you to Chris and Leslie for measuring the score for helping us break down the extremely talented musical compositions of Firefly and Serenity. If you're not following your friends, you can find them on all major podcast websites, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you enjoyed this topic, why not mention the show to other people who may enjoy it as well? As we mentioned often, and we do know it's, it's literally every episode at least twice, please comment, subscribe, and leave a review as this critically helps our show to continue to grow. Something about the interwebs uh, really likes that. And no, we're not just covering up for how we love seeing you speak well of us. Before you wonder if we're done with the Firefly verse, just hold on another 48 hours. We're wrapping up our deepest dive we've ever attempted by discussing 2005's Serenity, the full length film based on the Firefly verse. We'll be joined by Sean of Cheap Seat Reviews, who is a huge fan of the movie and has a lot he'd like to share about it for our week's finale. And until next time, keep on dissecting. <laughs>